That was good. We read this week in a story from Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And he continues, uh, from that time on, from what time on? From the time where Jesus had got his identity squared away, because, okay, now that you know who I am, I want to tell you what I'm about, and you need to buckle up because I'm really not about what you think I am about. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, not to crush the Roman Empire, but to suffer many things at the hands of the soldiers, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And picture this, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord! He said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to be identified with me, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory on his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You know, since, since January, we've been on, on this journey called the story. It's a, it's a study of, of God's word from, from Genesis to Revelation. And at least for me, I mean, it, it's been an incredible study. I mean, I've really loved every single chapter that we have dug into. But, but I got to admit that, that where we are right now in the story, it's my favorite part. I mean, if someone were to ask me, Steve, what is your favorite part? of God's story. And, and I know it sounds like the typical Sunday school answer, right? But they said, hey, what is your favorite part? I would say that one word. What would I say? I say, Jesus. That, 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 he's my favorite part. And, and, and that's as it should be. After all, that the whole story is about him, right? The whole Bible is about him. Old Testament, Christ is coming. The Gospels, Christ is here. And the rest of the New Testament, Christ is, is coming again. And, la- and last week, as, as, we, as we took a, a, a closer look at Jesus, uh, we, we like the people who met him 2,000 years ago, we, we saw that Jesus, he, he's just not an ordinary man. I mean, Jesus wasn't an ordinary teacher, was he? I mean, how he taught in parables, with humor, and with authority, and, and what he taught? I mean, he taught some crazy inverted things. Uh, just in our text, right, he said, hey, the, the way you find your life is to actually lose your life. You know, and, and, and Jesus actually lived out what he taught. He didn't just stand up in front telling people how to live, but he actually lived out what he taught. The very guy that told you and I to forgive other people, to turn the other cheek, what did he do? He forgave the man who 
drove six-inch spikes into his bruised, beaten, bleeding body. And Jesus wasn't an ordinary king, was he? I mean, Jesus came not to, not to be served, but to serve. Jesus came to, to humble himself. He, he came to, to make himself nothing. He came to empty himself. He came to be obedient even to death on the cross. No king would do that. But Jesus did. And Jesus was no ordinary man. I mean, he did things that no man could do. Calmed the storm, multiplied food, raised people from the dead. And because Jesus was no ordinary man, we saw him last week as we wrapped up our study last week. We saw Jesus and heard Jesus make this very not ordinary demand of us as people. He said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You know, unless, you, unless you take my person, unless you take my teaching, unless you take my word into your life and digest it and live, in, live it out, it just really won't work. You, you, you'll, you'll never experience the life that I have for you. I understand, we, we, we just can't date Jesus. You know, uh, we can't just move in with Jesus. Uh, we, we got to marry Jesus. With Jesus, it's, it, it's, it's all or, or it's nothing. And that's where the rub is, right? If we're honest, right, it's that all that we so often don't want. A guy named Wilbur Reese wrote many years ago about this attitude of, of only wanting some of God. Here's what he wrote. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black person or pick crops with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I would, I would like to have three pounds of God, please, in a paper sack. And Jesus says, that's not how it works. It's not how it works with me. You know, to experience the life I have for you, you have to take all of me. And then we read last week, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And he turned to his disciples and said, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, and Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? And where are we going to go? Where are we going to go to get peace that passes understanding? Where are we going to go to get love that's unbounded, deep, and strong? Um, but where are we going to go to get eternal life? Where are we going to go to have our sins forgiven? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Yeah, the people who met Jesus knew that he was no ordinary guy. And, and so the question that was on the mind of everyone from the adoring multitudes to the frightening religious leaders to the still struggling disciples was just who is this guy, really? Uh, which leads us to where we are today, chapter 25 of the story. You know, a, a chapter called Jesus, Son of God, a conversation that, that I want to call, who do you say that I am? And, and let's pray, and as always, you know, um, it's good for us to pray with our palms open. That's just something we do here symbolically to say, you know what, God, your truth is coming. And, and my open hands represent my open heart, my open mind. And you know, whatever you give to me, I'm going to receive it. You know, I, I'm not going to treat it like the Abachi Grill Buffet and just go for the, you know, I pile mine up with shrimp, man, like plates of shrimp. 
You know, uh, I, I got to take all of it, Lord, whatever you bring me today. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. And Lord, I, I pray that right now as we talk about Jesus, the Son of living God, that you'll open our hearts and minds to see him, Lord. I pray if there's any questions we have about them, him, that those questions are answered today. And God, I, I just ask for your help. Lord, it is so humbling and intimidating to stand up here and speak about you. You're infinite and I am so finite, Lord. God, I pray that you use me. I pray that I don't get in the way. And I pray that something happens today, Lord. I pray that we, we leave this place today rejoicing in who you are, recognizing who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's three points in your notes, and each one is a, is a two-word statement. The first one is the question. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And now Jesus could not have picked a better place to ask this question than Caesarea Philippi, because Caesarea Philippi was to religion what Walmart is to shopping. I mean, every conceivable variety was there all in one place. It, it was a cross-section of religious claims in Jesus' day. It, the city at one time had been a place of Baal worship. Uh, there was a huge marble temple in the city dedicated to the godhead of Caesar. At one time, temples, the Syrian gods, lined the landscape. It, it was a place that was infested with idol worship. I mean, everything from earthly ro ro rulers to Man invented Greek mythological gods were all around, and Jesus takes his disciples, and it's in this setting that he asked the question, who do people say that I am? And just as there is today, there are many opinions floating out there, and they quickly replied, well, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say one of the other prophets. Now, now why did Jesus look like these guys? Mark Moore in his awesome commentary uh, on the life of Christ says this. Number one, uh, Jesus looked at these guys because these guys never pulled any punches. They spoke their all truth in the face of antagonism and potential persecution. And number two, they confronted the hypocrisy of the religious and political leaders of the day. That never goes well, does it? And number three, they all got beat up for it. The crowds noticed the mounting aggression against Jesus by the religious leaders for speaking the truth. Now, to, to be compared to these guys, that, that's a compliment, right? I mean, if someone said, hey, Steve, you know, I read Scripture. When I see you, you remind me of Elijah or Jeremiah. That would be a compliment to me. But to Jesus, it's, it falls woefully short, doesn't it, to, to his real identity. And with that first question out of the way, Jesus gets to the real question, to the only question that matters. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And did you notice that when it came to answering the questions about what other people think about Jesus, they were chatty and answered quickly. But when Jesus zoned it in to something personal, uh, they weren't quite chatty. You see, this time only Peter responds. And, and we would do well to wonder why, right? I mean, did no one else have a chance? I mean, was Peter too quick, too confident that the others didn't have time to respond? Or perhaps the moment was an embarrassment one, an embarrassing one. You know, uh, it, you know, you know Peter makes a, a measured statement after a period of awkward silence. Jesus asked a question, and you know, John, John ducked his eyes, and Philip looked away. 
Andrew cleared his throat. <clears throat> Nathaniel elbowed Peter. And Peter looked at Jesus. He looked at this homeless carpenter. Now understand, this wasn't the first time that Peter asked this question, was it? It couldn't be. I mean, Peter must have asked this question thousands of times. Who is this guy? That night when Jesus came down from the mountain and, and, and he walked out onto the sea and he didn't sink? Who is this guy? The day that, that Jesus took the, the boy's sack lunch and turned it into an all-you-can-eat buffet? Who is this guy? The day Jesus took leather strips and he formed a, a whip and he drove out the money changers who were taking advantage of the people? Who, who is this guy? Uh, the day that Jesus cast out the legion of demons, the day he, he calmed the storm, uh, the day he caused lime legs to walk and open, opened up blind eyes, the day he raised people from the dead. Who is this guy? Uh, the day they found Jesus leaning against a well, talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman at that. And that all the times they heard Jesus include children into his discussion. Who is this guy? Yeah, Peter had asked the question thousands of times. And so have you and so have millions of others around the world. And wouldn't you agree that every serious student of life who's ever had the opportunity to meet Jesus have found themselves at, the, at one of those Caesarea Philippi moments, standing against the background of all the things the world says about who Jesus is? Who is this man? Who do you say that I am? There is no more important question ever asked or that we will ever answer than that question right there. And really, in our society, we really ask the wrong question. You know, if you notice, you know, a lot of people in our culture, you know, we have an identity issue, don't we? And we're saying, who am I? Yeah, who am I? And you know, and many people in a search to find that answer, they go on a journey, right? Maybe a physical journey, maybe a spiritual journey. Uh, maybe they read books, go to conferences. Maybe they go to a counselor to answer this question, who, who am I? Uh, but you know what? I, I'm convinced it's the, it's the wrong question to ask. It's the wrong question to start with. O over 3,000 years ago, an 80-year-old man stood before a burning bush, and he asked the very same question. God told Moses, like, hey, hey, you know what? I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to deliver my people. But Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And if you read Exodus 3, you'll find out God never answered the question as to who Moses was, but he did answer the question as to who he is, the great God, and that he was going with Moses. You see, Man's fundamental problem is not a self-identity crisis. It is a what? It's a God-identity crisis. See, finding out who we are always begins with finding out who God is. I mean, that's why the subtitle, right, of, of this series has been on since January, the story, finding your story in God's story. You know, and I would just suggest to you today that if you're having a hard time figuring out who you are, that question has been hard to answer, maybe it's time to answer another question. Yeah. Who do you say that Christ is? Question, the answer. 
Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Actually, the word Messiah is the word Christ, the anointed one. In the Old Testament, anointing was reserved for a prophet, a priest, and a king. We just sang that, didn't we? Hail him, prophet and priest and king. And, and, and we're kind of okay with two of those things most of the time, right? Prophet and priest, okay with. That king thing, we're not so sure, right? We're not so sure we want someone reigning and ruling over our lives. Question, how many here believe that Jesus is God? Raise your hand. Okay. I'm not really surprised by the answer, you know. Uh, in church, right, you expect that. But do you know that we're in the minority? You know, not everyone believes that, that somewhere around 4 billion people do not believe that Jesus is God. You know, Muslims don't believe it. Hindus don't believe it. Buddhists don't believe it. The Jewish people don't believe it. Mormons don't believe it. Jehovah Witness don't believe it. You know, many, many college professors don't believe it. Our, our culture doesn't believe it. Sure, they admit that Jesus existed. I mean, nobody with, with a, an ounce of intellectual integrity would, would deny the fact that this man Jesus existed. And, and, they'll, and they'll basically say, yeah, he, he was a good guy. He was a decent guy. I mean, he was a guy you wouldn't mind having on your bowling league or living next door to you. And some would go as far as to say, hey, he was a good teacher, but two-thirds of the world refused to call him God. And if I may be so bold, those four billion people, they're wrong. Because Jesus is God. And I, I, I want to tell you why I believe that's true. I want to tell you why I know he's God. And number one, because of what other people said about him. The prophet Isaiah living 700 years before Christ, said these words. Uh, the Lord himself will choose the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him what? Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. A little later in, in, in chapter 9, Isaiah writes this about Jesus. Uh, For a child is born to us, a, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. I read that this morning in my notes, and I actually, my notes are a mess because my head's a mess all the time. And I circled that. You rest on his shoulders. Yeah. And maybe some of you need to do that right now in your life, don't you? And maybe you're carrying something on your shoulders that you were never meant to carry. And maybe God brought you this morning and said, you know what? Take that burden, take that thing that's just weighing you down and let it rest on his shoulders. His shoulders are broad enough. They're strong enough, and they're big enough to handle it. The government will rest on his shoulders. These will be his royal titles. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Again, Isaiah said those things about Jesus 700 years before Jesus walked this earth. And, and I'm going to quote some people now who actually had the opportunity uh, to meet Jesus. I mean, these people, they saw Jesus, they heard Jesus, they saw him up close and personal. John the Baptist wrote this. I was there and saw the Spirit come down on him like a dove from heaven. And the Spirit stayed on him. Before this, I, I didn't know who he was. But the one who sent me to baptize with water had told me, you will see the Spirit come down and stay on someone. Then you'll know that he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I, I saw this happen, and I tell you that he is the Son of God. Paul. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head 
over every power and authority. The Apostle John in his first letter. And we know that the Son of God has come. And he's given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we are in God because we are in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Thomas, right? You know, he missed church. What a church service to miss, right? You know, you know, guys, you should have been to church. Jesus was there. He rose from the dead. Dang it. I knew I shouldn't have cut the yard that day. Okay. Thomas replied, you are my Lord and my God. Peter, Simon Peter. Here's how he begins his letter in 2 Peter. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And that was, a, again, calling yourself a servant. You didn't do that, right? Until Jesus inverted it, right? Yeah, that, that, a servant? That's not a position of honor, you know? Yeah, but there was the Peter. Simon Peter, a servant, apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received the faith as precious as ours. And then, and then the centurion in Matthew chapter 27. When the centurion and those with them were, were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. You see, I, I know that Jesus is God because of, of what other people said about him and also because of what Jesus said about himself. I know there's a lot of silliness out there uh, that says that Jesus never really claimed he was God, but that's just, that's just dumb, right? That's just not true, all right? It's not true. Uh, it, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I and the Father are one. Jesus said in John 14, verse 9, Jesus replied, Philip, don't you even yet know who I am? Even if all this time I've been with you, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking to see him? Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Understand, Buddha never claimed he was God. Krishna never claimed he was God. Confucius never claimed he was God. Muhammad never claimed he was God. Listen, no other founder of any major religious religion has ever made this claim except one, Jesus. And Jesus, as he always does, Jesus stands alone. In our text in chapter 25 of the story this week, we see Two statements Jesus makes that leave no doubt that he was indeed God. Okay, um, do, do you know what Jesus' favorite title was for himself? How he referred to himself the most? Son of, son of man. Over 80 times that's used in the gospel, 79 times it's Jesus using it to refer to himself. Yeah, for some reason, he loved to talk about himself in third person using the term son of man. You're familiar with it. In Luke 9, 58, Jesus said the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. In Luke 9, 22, he said the son of man must suffer many things. In our text we read this morning, who do people say the son of man is? And then, for the son of man is going to come. Amen. In his Father's glory with his angels. And then he'll reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You see, Jesus constantly referred to himself as the Son of Man. And now on the surface, that phrase, Son of Man, does, it, I mean, it, it sounds kind of humble to us, right? I, mean, I kind of like that about Jesus. Look at that. I mean, he's not throwing his deity around. I mean, he's just saying, hey, I, I, I'm just the Son of Man. I mean, I appreciate that about Jesus, right? But we need to understand, in the Old Testament, the Son of Man applied to Jesus, many was God. In Daniel chapter 7, here's what we read. I saw someone like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. 
He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. See, these are all descriptions of the Son of Man. So every time that Jesus says to his disciples and the people that, hey, I am the Son of Man, he was declaring his deity, he was declaring his rule, he was declaring his kingdom, he was declaring his authority. The the second thing uh, that that we saw this week in chapter 25 of the story, as we looked at John chapter 8, is Jesus made another statement that left no doubt that he was claiming to be God. I mean, it was so clear that the Jewish leaders, right, what they do, they pick up stones, what, to kill him, right? You know, because Jesus said, he said, I am, you know, okay, what does that mean? Um, well, you rewind the you know, to time of Moses, right? And Moses at the burning bush, and, and he says, hey, it, I'm going to do this thing for you. And they're going to say, I know they're going to ask me a question. I'm going to be ready for it. Can you prep me? They're going to say, okay, who told you, who sent you here? And God said, I am that I am. You know, it, in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. And actually, in the, the Greek Bible, you know, that most of the Jewish people use at the time of Christ, it is a, is a Greek, two Greek words, ego, me, um, And ego means I, and me means I am. So Jesus said, I, I am, <laughs> I, I am. You know, and not really the best grammar, but it, it really makes a, it makes, a, it makes a powerful statement about who Jesus is. Um, Isaiah actually said this, using the same word, Ego me. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am is the first, and I am is the last. From me, apart from me, there is no God. And four times in John 8, Jesus says, I am. I am the great I am. He first does it when the Jewish leaders kind of get bent out of shape because Jesus said that, he was the light of the world. And, and they challenged Jesus. Hey, hey, wait a minute, Jesus. We only have your word on this. And who are you? No one. So what you say cannot be true. And then Jesus says this. I love it. Um, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. I like that. Hey, guys, I am God, all right? And I testify for myself. How's that working for you? All right. And, and then three other times, and he, he says this in the same chapter, in the same exchange. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You indeed die in your sins. And then John 8, 28, he says this. So Jesus said, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, right, we've got both titles there, right, uh, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be. You know, when I'm crucified, uh, when you think you've killed me, then you're going to know who I really am. And, and then uh, he, well, this statement just put him over the edge. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, and this is 2,000 years after Abraham, I am. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him, and Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple guards. Yeah, I know Jesus is God because of, of what other people said about him, because of what he said about himself. And, and listen, as people are faced with these claims about Jesus, there's only four possibilities of who Jesus is, right? Either Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, a legend, or the truth. And anyone who says that Jesus is not true 
is automatically embracing one of the other three, right? You're saying, uh, uh, he's not true then. I, either I believe he's a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was a legend. So, so let's look at the possibility. You know, maybe Jesus was just a liar. I mean, he, he knew that he wasn't God, but he deliberately deceived the people so that his teaching would have more clout. Now, few if any people actually believe this, right? I mean, even though they deny you know, they may deny his deity. Most people believe that Jesus was a great moral teacher. But understand, how could Jesus be a great moral teacher if he lied about his identity? You see, the claim Jesus is God is either true or it's false. And if it's false, Jesus is the most damnable liar in the history of the world. I mean... Think about it. Jesus is telling us to pray to him, to confess to him, to trust him for our salvation, to follow him, to give our lives to him, to give our deeds to him. And Maple Grove, if Jesus is not guy, God, he's the most despicable, damnable person who ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus would be downright evil if he was a liar. Okay, well, that's not working good for me. Well, then he was a lunatic. He was a nutcase. I mean, the lights were on at Jesus' house, but nobody was home. And, and, and that could explain someone thinking they're God. I mean, psych wards are full of people who think they're God, right? Think they're Jesus, which is always kind of crazy. When people have those disorders, they never say, hey, I'm, I'm Muhammad, right? It's always Jesus. I don't know why that is. But when you look at Christ, you see evidence of someone being a lunatic? No, we don't, do we? Instead, we see someone who seems to be always in control of himself. We see someone who can handle an incredible, stressful situation with great composure. We, we see someone who spoke more rational, powerful, and undeniable truth than anyone who ever lived. Well, that leaves with one option left, right? The legend option. You probably heard this. Maybe you saw it on Discovery Channel or something, History Channel. Uh, Jesus was a great guy. Taught some really awesome stuff. But his followers, sometime in the third and fourth century, put words in his mouth that Jesus would be shocked they ever said about him. You ever heard something like that? Well, again, that holds no water because we know it's a proven fact that the Gospels were not written in the third and fourth century, but, but a mere 20 to 30 years after the cross. Therefore, people who knew Jesus were alive at the time these accounts were written and circulated. If Jesus never claimed to be God, those claims would have quickly died out. I mean, how successful do you think anyone would be today who said, you know what, John F. Kennedy, before he died, claimed to be the Son of God. I mean, would they ever take hold? No, people say, wait, he never said that. You know, people who knew him would say, John never said that. So this doesn't take any, hold any water either. And so, if Jesus is not a liar, he's not a lunatic, he's not a legend, that leaves only one option, right? He's the truth. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. I put it in your notes. I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. What are you going to do with Jesus? Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God 
but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Man, I love that, right? That's who he is. I mean, you got to make a choice, and you know, he's one of those three. And I don't know about you, when I use, if I use my brain, I'm thinking those other three really don't make a whole lot of sense. The question, who do you say that I am? The answer, the Son of God. And I know Jesus is God because of what other people said about him, what he said about himself. But, you know, people make all kinds of outlandish claims about themselves all the time, right? I mean, people brag and say something, you know, hey, I could, you know, I, I, I could run that, that mile, you know, under four minutes. And you're like, really? You think, is he serious? Does he really believe that? And see, so you have to consider their credibility, right? Who's saying it? You have to consider their credibility, which brings us to the third reason why I believe Jesus is God, because of what Jesus did. Not just what people said about him, not just what he said about himself, but because of the things that Jesus did. And I'm going to hit these quick. You've heard these before. You know, uh, number one, he accepted worship, right? Jesus told Satan, Satan tried to get him to, to worship him, right? He says, you only worship God alone. And then what we find in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus calms the storm. They fall down his, at his feet and they worship him. And Jesus was okay with it. Uh, 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 another thing that Jesus did was he did what? He performed, he, he performed miracles. He performed, he performed miracles. Raise the dead, multiply food, calm violent seas. And, and the awesome thing is, you know, there, there was a guy named um, St. Quadrius of Athens who, who, who wrote a letter to the Roman emperor. Um, um, I forget, it starts with an H. Hagen? Hey, anybody remember Roman Emperor Sartre and H? Okay, go look it up, Google it. And, 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 but in it, he's talking about how, you know, the works of Jesus lived on and that the people that he performed miracles in were not just around in the time that Jesus lived, but they were in the time after Jesus lived. And he, was, he wrote it in 120 AD. And some are even here today. I mean, could you imagine me in a church service saying, okay, hey, was anybody here around with Jesus and give a testimony to his power and up comes Lazarus? You know, uh, up comes a woman who had that um, physical illness for 12 years. She said, yeah, I, I, let me tell you about it. I was pushing through the crowd. I knocked down a bunch of people, man, but I finally made my way. I plowed the corn and I hit Jesus and boom, I was healed instantly. Another thing that Jesus did is he fulfilled prophecy. You know, there's hundreds of prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament about where he was born, how he was born, what he would teach, how he would enter the city like uh, he did on, on that first Palm Sunday. And, and because of the Dead Sea Scrolls that we found in the 1950s, right, we now have manuscripts that predate the New Testament. We have manuscripts from Isaiah that are 100 to 200 years before the New Testament, right? Because before the Dead Sea Scrolls, you could say, well, yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, the Baltimore Ravens are going to win Super Bowl 47. Well, you're like, duh, they already won it, right? You know, but now we had manuscript evidence before Christ prophesying about Christ, 100 of them, 100 plus. And a guy named, uh, a guy named Philip Stoner, what he did, he took, he said that for eight prophecies to come true in any one person is one times 10 to the 17th. Yeah, that's one with, two, with 17 zeros after it. And he says, that's a big number. And, and to get a mind around it, it's the same thing as covering the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars, marking one coin, and blindfolding somebody. And on the first try, they picked up that marked coin. Okay, what are the odds? That's, you think that's likely? 
I got to tell you, when I was trying to find the Dallas airport, it's bigger than a silver dollar, and I had a GPS. It took me 30 minutes to find it, but I was trying to get back home a while back. It's like, I, I know it's somewhere. I kept missing it, the wrong turn, the wrong turn. You know, that's how big that number is. You know what the odds of, of 48 prophecies coming true in any one person? One times 10 to the 157th. That's one times 10 with 157 zeros. That number's so big, you know there's, there's less atoms in the visible universe than that number? So that's the odds of, you know, taking, and there's like a million atoms in, in, in the hair, right? So that, like, that's the odds of, of taking, spray painting one atom in the universe, giving you a spaceship and warp drive 10 or whatever, and the odds of you picking out that one marked atom. I, I believe you know, what Jesus did helps me know that he is who he said he is. And also, I, what he did, he changed history. Every time you write a check, Every time Hallmark prints a calendar, every time the New York Times prints a newspaper, every time the ball drops in Times Square, they are testifying to the life and ministry and person of Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. All time revolves around Jesus. I mean, if God were ever to come to the earth, if God were able to come, ever to come and put on flesh and live here, wouldn't you expect him to stand out among all the billions and billions of people who ever lived? Wouldn't you think his influence would be greater than any person who ever walked the face of this planet? You would. And I contend there is such a man, and it's Jesus Christ. See, I believe Jesus is God because of what other people said about him, what he said about himself, because he accepted worship, he did miracles, he, he, he fulfilled prophecy, he changed history, and he rose from the dead, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. So the question, who do you say that I am? The answer, Jesus is God. And, and now for the final two-word statement in your notes, the difference. What difference does the answer make? What difference does it make whether or not Jesus is God? It makes all the difference in the world. Check out what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be what? What does it say? Pity more than all men. What he's saying, hey, if Jesus is not who he claimed to be, if he was not the Son of God, then guess what? It's all just a huge waste of time. It's all a lie. Our, our sins aren't forgiven, and we're not going to heaven. And our worship, our prayer, our service is absolutely meaningless. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But it's not a lie. Jesus is God. But if I could be straight with you for a minute, even though Jesus is God, even though he did raise from the dead, many times we as believers still live pitiful lives. And why is that? I think part of it is because we allow the, the world to put doubts into our minds about who Jesus really is. What I'm saying is that sometimes we're, sometimes we're not living like, sometimes I don't live like the one I love, I follow, I serve and worship is God. So, sometimes I, I don't live like that the same mighty God who, who calls Isaiah to cry out, woe is me, and the angels to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is to come. I, I don't live like that. And instead, we live our lives as though Jesus was just a nice guy who did some great things a long, long time ago, but he's really not here today to do anything significant in my life. My problems are just too big. My circumstances are, are too much against me. I mean, 
Maple Grove, sometimes there's no bounce in her step, there's no strut in her stride, there's no life in her hope, there's no confidence in her future, and there's no security in our true identity. But, but it, it's my prayer that our, our time together today at least help them remove some of those doubts in, in your mind about who Jesus is, that he is God. Listen, the Jesus that we love, that we serve, and that we worship the Jesus that said that he is your savior, that he's your friend, that he will never leave or forsake you, he's God. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Son of God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the God-man. He is the humble servant. He is the man of sorrows. He is the good shepherd. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the prince of peace. He is the lion of Judah. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the dragon slayer. He is the light of the world. He is our mighty fortress. He is the centerpiece of human history. Jesus is the sinless savior. He is the matchless king. He is the great high priest. He is the sinner's friend. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's God. And, 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 I, and as our finger-pointing friend would say, those are not just nicknames his mommy gave him when she was sewing together tunic for temple time. No, these are words and titles that if we really knew what they were talking about would make us shudder in our boots, would make us question everything. Jesus is huge. Jesus is holy. Jesus is mighty. Jesus is God. And because Jesus is God, this means that Jesus has all the answers. He can deliver what he promised. He can provide what we need. He, he will forgive our sins. It, it means that he can keep us from falling. It means that he can protect us. It means that he can give us peace in any conflict. It means that he can conquer any problem. Because Jesus is God, it means that he can defeat any enemy. It means that what he said is true. It means that what he said he would do, he's going to do. It means that he is faithful. It means that he can be trusted. It means that he really will come back to take us to be with him forever. Ever. Maple Grove, it's time for us to put some bounce in our step, some strut in our stride, some life in our hope, some confidence in our future, some security in our true worth and identity, because our Jesus is God. He's the sovereign king of the universe. He is indescribable. He is uncontainable. He is incomprehensible. He is unstoppable. He is uncontrollable. He is unchangeable. He is invincible. He is irresistible. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never fails. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Jesus is our amazing God. There's no one like him. Never been anybody like him. And next, quick but important, what difference does our answer make? All the difference in the world. You, you see, the, our answer to that question, number one, determines our salvation. Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You'll indeed die in your sins. 
So our answer determines our salvation. I don't remember the scene in Acts chapter 8. Philip is talking to Ethiopian eunuch, teaching them about Christ, and we read this. The eunuch says, look, here's water. Oh, why shouldn't I get baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. You, you see, our answer to this question determines our, uh, our salvation because when we know who Jesus is, we respond the way Jesus wants to respond and repent, confess, and we're baptized, and our sins are forgiven. Uh, and, and number two, our answer will determine our surrender. Kind of like last week, we kind of end the same way we ended last week. Jesus makes this pretty tough demand. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple, we're like, okay, sign me up. I like it. I like it. But it's more than a t-shirt, right? It's more than a bumper sticker. Must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But, but whoever loses their life for me will, will, will find it. Again, that's a pretty strong demand, right? I mean, later on in all the places, Jesus says, hey, you know what? If you want to follow me, you, 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 you have to hate your mother and your father and your husband and your wife and your kids and your little dog, Fluffy, right? You, know, you have to not hate, but you have to love me more than those things. I have to be the most important thing to you or you can't be my disciple. Again, pretty bold things to say. A pretty tough demand. But he also did say this, right? He said that, that no one who is giving up mother and father, sister and brother and life for me and my kingdom will fail to receive a hundred times more brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, little dog fluffies, you know, in this life, in the age to come, eternal life. So, so he makes a pretty bold demand, but if you're God... You can make that demand. You know, and, and so here's the question, you know, whether you're still trying to figure this Jesus thing out, whether you've been following him for years, I, I just see my little guy waving his finger, you know, because we all have the same question, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? Are, are you going to fall at your feet and surrender to him? Are, are you going to give more and more of your life to him? Or, or are you going to keep that Jesus in a box so he doesn't really mess with your life too much? Say, so, you know, I'm okay with that $3 of of Jesus in a paper sack. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, Jesus, wow. To think that they're not just titles, they're really who you are. That you really are the Prince of Peace, that you can bring peace in our life, that you really are our Redeemer, our Deliverer, that you really are a sinner Savior that you really are living water that can quench our every thirst, that you really are the resurrection and the life, that you really are everything you say you are. Jesus, I just pray that, that right now as we sing and as we reflect on this, Lord, that, God, we just rejoice greatly in who you are and that we can rest everything of our life on your shoulders. Amen.